Artcast, your weekly podcast for insight into the articles to read, decks to play at FNM, cards to buy and sell, and insight from Robert Martin and Channel Fireball's own Tristan Sean Gregson. It's time for Hardcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's Hardcast. I am Tristan Sean Gregson here with my co-host Robert Martin. How are you doing this evening, Robert? Absolutely wonderful. It's been a Interesting week of magic, that's for sure. But then by all means, take us away. Jace and Stoneforge Mystic Free World. There have been a lot of people throwing out deck ideas. What have been some that you thought have been successful? I think there's, um, you know, right now we're right on the cusp. It's kind of the perfect time. Everything is brand new. Everything is, uh, well, not not just brand new, but back to the way it was in many ways. Um it's a great time for deck builders. It's a great time for people that own Type 2 cards in general because until some really, like, you know, solid results come out from places saying, you know, don't play this or this is bad, you can pretty much do whatever you want. I mean, you're you're just starting to see um, MTGO daily results starting to come in from, you know, people not playing with uh, Jason Stoneforge. But, again, yeah, if, you, if you, you know, if you're a regular f and -er, I mean, there's not a whole lot you can't play right now. I think that you kind of have to go to the um, the world's results is probably the first place to really start in terms of like trying to think in a new direction uh, because again that was like pre sort of feast and famine so you, know, you didn't see as much action with uh, Sunforge Mystic there's still plenty of Jace and you know that's why removing Jace gives you even more room to kind of build stuff so you know Grand Architect decks and Balakut decks Mono Red decks and Various green ramp decks. Uh, it's funny. I mean, white kind of went from the best color to possibly the worst color overnight with that change. Uh, you know, who knows if there'll be more Gideon Juras or Grave Titans, kind of like you know, being the closer for control decks right now. But uh, it's uh, it's definitely a brave new world. So get out there, do some deck building. I think our actually our deck list of the week kind of um, gives a little insight into that as well. We're just you know offering kind of a Seemingly vanilla kind of shell for blue black control without Jason Mind Sculptor and without having to worry about pesky Stoneforge Mystics. So definitely check that out. But uh, I don't know. I, I think there's a, there's a lot to like right now in Standard. And if I was uh, if I had the time to do some casual Magic playing, now would be one of the most exciting times to do it. I would think right now that even for the pros, it's got to be a fun time to be able to rethink strategy and actually open yourself up to the possibilities is still mono black control interesting i i uh, i guess i haven't tuned my ears to those you know, there's some obviously some cards i like from you know when i think mono black control i think like invasion odyssey or uh odyssey onslaught era you gotta have your mutilate board sweepers your Mind Sludge discards your corrupting mirari's to really finish people out and, and then the full complement of Innocent Bloods, Chainer's Edicts, uh, Tainted Packs, uh, maybe a little Undead Gladiator to kind of make a faux, a faux compulsion. And, you know, over the years, there have been kind of bits and pieces of that kind of engine. Um, you know, Mind Sludge and Diabolic Tutor are currently in the format. Uh, I'm definitely one of those people that, you know, likes to kind of toy around with those decks. I definitely have a very uh, casual competitive, with air quotes all around it, kind of a mono-black control deck myself. But, um, you know, we just came off an artifact block, and you have to be able to deal with artifacts. And Ratchet Bomb is really not going to be the best tool to deal with all those shrines of Burning Rage and equipment that's still out there. And 
you know, Tezzeret, the Agent of Bolasses and those kind of things. So uh, I think it's still a pipe dream, but it, it's a, an exciting one. At least that means there are people out there that are trying to build new decks, and it's not just ho-hum, you know, Jay Stoneforge Mystic kind of world, which is exactly what I'm looking for right now. Well, anything is different than what we've been experiencing. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, it's, you talk about, um, you know, you think the pros are going to be brewing a lot right now, and it's really kind of weird that uh, the summer, especially the first you know month or two, is, is really dead for competitive Magic tournaments. Uh, it seems like, you know, if the majority of your competitive player base is high school, college, you know, people in their 20s, you'd want to be running a lot of events in June, July. But Wizards kind of does the opposite. I mean, you've got a, a, a lot in the spring, you've got a lot in the fall into winter, but uh, June, July are, are usually pretty empty as far as competitive Magic goes. I mean, Luis has traveled to 5Ks states away that he wouldn't during any other time of the year, but he will during the summer because there's, there's nothing really else going on. Uh, and I think that that you know, speaks a lot to the way the, the schedule plays out and how it really should be changed. Of course, you know, I'm not going to get on my soapbox about that because next year everything could be extremely different than it is now. But, you know, really, between tonight and uh, when National starts at Gen Con, you know, the... the professional magic-playing world doesn't have a whole lot they have to focus on. But the preparation for Nationals is very important. A lot of people, including my interview I had this week, which we'll talk about a little bit later, that's the focus right now. It is uh, it's still kind of an in, kind of an interesting honor that, um, you know, is weighed differently depending on who you talk to. Uh, you know, Nationals is not the big payout tournament. It's not the Pro Tour. It's kind of more like a, a Grand Prix just in your country. Uh, again, the, the Nationals team is something that isn't exactly, you know, super glorified uh, in world's coverage because it's, it's kind of, you know, awkward hodgepodge of formats. And, you know, you, I, don't, I don't think over the last few years you really get a feeling of, like, a team camaraderie. It's more like three very different players kind of working together, and you don't really get to see that at all. So it's nice to know that there's still pride out there. The people really, really want you. Like they want to win nationals. They want to be on the nationals team and you know, win the team championship and bring it back to the United States, which hasn't happened. What seems like forever, really, in, in terms of modern magic. But uh, yeah, it, it's interesting. And, and again, like to know the people you know this far out are really thinking about it. Because you know the limited format's going to be uh, Magic 2012 draft. Uh, I guess standard is where there's the most room to grow, but again, you've got you know infinite Magic Online tournaments to kind of look at the results for between now and then. Well, obviously, with the new hot product, Commander, which Commander deck, in your opinion, is the best? Uh, you know, I- I'm so glad that I actually played a few games of these things because uh, otherwise this would be a much harder question to answer. Um, and-, and as a quick side note to that, I- I'm very sad that there are very few counterspells and like zero land destruction. I knew that every single one of my bounce lands was nice and safe. I didn't have to worry about anything ever happening to it. That uh, I don't know if I'm ready to live in that world. But the uh, was it the red, blue, white one, the one with the the donate uh, permanence to your opponent's guy. That guy, that guy seems like so much fun. Sending all my worthless lands all around the table, having so much fun with my goblin cadets. Uh, you know, cards that are so far designed out in such a fashion. It's like you know, when can you ever imagine? Playing a three color, or like was like a two three or something for four or five that hands your opponent's permanence so that every keep you can gain a life draw a card. Like never would be a competitive card. Would never have to be three colors. Um, but in this format, it's it's so different and the feel is so different and the games are so much more interesting. 
Um, uh, again, like I, I, I praise the Commander product, what's, what seems like a ton already, but it's a great deal for players. It's chock full of you know, playable cards, not not just with Commander format, for, for other formats. It has all these great new cards that are they seem to be like, even if they're like, you don't have to own them, it's like you have to have them to trade. Like, it's so nice to get some of these decks and be able to trade off command powers to people at, at such a high value that, um, yeah, I think, I think it's a great product. And if, if I had to battle the uh, the pre-cons, I'm taking uh, all American red, white, and blue any day of the week. What do you see Wizards of the Coast doing with the success of Commander decks? Uh, it, it's interesting. I think that you you are in the danger zone of overprinting. Um, you know, they they're treating this product a lot like Archenemy and Plane Chase. For those of you that are aren't familiar, or you know, like we could just even we can we can change it. We could say, well, let me talk about Magic releases. This is the coast in general underprints pretty much everything. Um, you know, they don't want to get stuck with it. They want to make sure they sell out of it, and that's really where their profit comes from. Uh, they don't look at the value of Jace on the secondary market and consider Worldwake a success. They consider it a success when they've sold out of it at a warehouse level. So with any product, that's really how they gauge it. And that's not at all how the players, the secondary market, immediately how it gets absorbed by everyone else um, views it. You know, think, think of it like if Magic was only sold at Target or Walmart or kind of these, you know, big box stores, uh, you know, it would be a very different feel. So in that respect, you've got to be careful of overprinting this product. But at the same time, you've already seen the kind of um, elasticity in the, in the price of this product as, you know, it was supposed to be, you know, 125 150 for a set, you know, pre-order times. Set comes out, everyone's out of it. You know, it's selling for 250 a set, $30, $40, a deck. Um, and then, you know, it's, it's already kind of come back down. The, the second wave, quote-unquote, uh, you know, when you know, Wizards, they don't, like, you know, keep the printing presses running 24-7, and they don't just print everything all at once. There's not, like, one big warehouse that says, you know, Magic 2012 on it, and then they slowly ship out a box at a time. It's It goes through waves. So it's um, it's going to be interesting to see how much of it they print, for how long they print it, you know, if they make adjustments to it or, you know, oh, new new cards, new decks, is that something we're going to see down the line? You know, as much as I've talked to the design team on Commander, that wasn't, you know, we were so focused on this this launch, this product. It was such a big thing at the time, I didn't really get to stop and be like, so, you know, what's the, what's the future? Like, you know, when's the Commander expansion, that kind of thing? There's obviously there's room for it and there's going to be demand for it. But um, I'm just I'm just afraid of overprinting right now. I think that's that's my, my major concern. So I, I want everyone to get this product. I think there's no reason why every single corner store can't be selling it for MSRP. There's no reason. That's, this isn't a from-the-vault release. It's not like, oh, it says it's 35, but really it's 75. Um, you know, it's not like that. I'm just you know, I'm just afraid it's going to really be saturated. It's going to be like 8th edition pre-cons all over again where you know, certain cards just all of a sudden have no value whatsoever because they're everywhere. Um so yeah, I mean, it, it, it's hard. I mean, if you think of it from the other side of the other side of the coin, other side of the street, other side of the tracks, whatever you want to call it, um, you know, if you feel the guys are making these decisions, it's like I want to make sure this product's out there. I want to make sure everyone has it, but I don't want to devalue it by overprinting it. And that's why, in all the recent history of Magic, you see sets kind of short printed. I mean, sure, people wanted more Future Side, people wanted more Shadow, more people wanted more, you know, everything, World Wake, Zendikar, all these things, but. Uh, that's not how Wizards looks at it. They just they put enough out there, 
just demand stays high and so on and so forth. And a, set, a product like this is very different because it's meant to be printed year-round. It's the same thing with Plain Chase and uh, Arch Enemy. Pretty much any store should be able to get that product, be able to sell it to you at MSRP. It's not like it's not it's not scarce. So that, that's my long-winded like uh, my my fear for this very great product. As long as the product is supported correctly through Wizards and through the community, there should be a need for it, even if it's not a tremendous need. I hope it doesn't become more of a retail product, if you know what I mean by that. If that doesn't become, there's now 10 of them at Walmart. Well, I mean, you know, like, here, here's a great barometer. Like, did, did you pick up your commander decks yet? No. And if you wanted to buy them tomorrow, do you think you'd have difficulty getting them at MSRP? If I wanted it now and couldn't wait for it, I'd maybe pay a little more. But if I'd order it from, say, you guys, it might be a little different. Yeah, you know, that's fair enough. I just... You know, I, you know, you're not exactly in the most urban area, so it's a, it's a great opportunity to do a, a, a tiny sample size here and be like, you know, what, what is this product's impact in your area? I mean, you have, you know, I don't know how if you've been to your local store or stores since the release and you've seen people are playing with them or clamoring to pick them up, but you know, our our storefront has had a hard time keeping them in stock, and we we do get a lot of foot traffic and a lot of people interested in playing the game. I just I'm still very wary that you know you're gonna walk, you're you're gonna see every single store with these things sitting on the shelf at some point. They know how to do things right, and if they put out just enough and they make what they're looking for on their margin on it, well, I'm not gonna be as narrow sighted as that. I think that we, you know, everyone is interested in the health of the game. I just think it's um it's important for for players and magic consumers to know that the things that you and I value a set on and value as success or failure or something on is is not what you know corporate wizards determines it and you know the the decisions that go into made of printing something distributing something are very different from like oh I need more Jaces well they better print more of these and send them out right away so. Um, you know, all in all, I don't want to rain on the parade of Commander. I think it's been a, a great release. It's been a great product. Uh, love selling the singles out of it. Love selling the sets. Um, again, I want everyone to have this product. I don't, uh, you know, I, I got them. I play a little bit with them before we strip some of them apart to uh, get some much-needed cube cards. But it's um, a lot of fun. I think that it's it was been a home run, great success, and just, you know, don't mess it up. That's all I'm saying. A lot of M12 out now. We have. It's, uh, you know, spoiler season's a rough one for me because things change so fast and I run my mouth in so many different places that I don't know where I've talked about what and which cards with who and I don't want to, like, just keep beating a dead horse. I don't want to, like, miss anything that anyone was super excited about. But, uh, you know, what, what have you seen recently that um, you like from this set? The way people have been talking that Innistrad will be a dredge set and the card that Luis spoiled, Visions of Beyond, that he released, that is a card that, based on how you're playing, can be very, very effective, especially if it's mid or end game. To draw three cards for instant speed is phenomenal. I, I will say there has been a lot of interest around that card. We've we've been selling, pre-selling that card uh, quite a bit. It's already jumped in price a couple of times since we first posted it on the website. Uh, and it was it was quite the surprise to me. I, I thought it kind of like an innocuous card draw spell that every once in a blue moon was going to be a an ancestral has um, really caught people. And 
you know, I, I don't even think of most of it's speculation. I think people just really kind of genuinely like the car. I mean, again, it's, it replaces itself. It kind of reminds me of Whispers of the Muse, where, you know, it's never bad. It's going to replace itself, and there are times when it's really good. Um, but it, it, it's probably the number one, like, mover in the set so far, the car that, like, started at a particular price and has shifted its way up in value uh, the most since then. And as far as Innistrad being a, a dredge set, quote-unquote, I think that might be a bit extreme. I think the dredge mechanic is one that we're not likely to see anytime soon. However, a graveyard-based set seems very plausible, uh, quite likely based on the, the Duels of the Planeswalkers kind of leak-esque preview kind of things we've seen with the the hints that flashback is going to be coming back. Again, we've got we've got more zombies over vampires right now. We're moving away from the the twilight years of magic and more into classic black uh, creature types. But um, you know, regardless, there's going to, probably going to be some some graveyard stuff going on. And uh, so for that, then uh, yeah, I mean, obviously a lot of people are interested in picking up their their visions of beyond. What have you seen? Which card has caught your eye? Um, I, mean, I like a lot of stuff. You know, like I just kind of like stop and and look at uh, Chasm Drake and think of what a blowout he is in limited. Uh, you know, I, I kind of like I like it to look at you know where the reprints are, where the you know not not quite functional reprints, but kind of uh, you know slight plays on a theme or a previous card are. I, I like that the card like Call from the Grave is coming back or Call to the Grave, I guess taking taking you to the grave, not from the grave. Um. You know, a very popular casual card in the past. Great to see it come back. I love the new artwork on Distress. I uh, love seeing that card. Just thumb through anything new that... Again, like, I don't remember what, last time I talked about these things or when I talked about them. One of like, the I, I, like, I like the myriad of bloodthirst creatures for limited. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I thought they were going to be more vanilla just based on all the um, black ones I had seen in other previews, but... So far, they're pretty exciting, and the, and, the, and the choice of reprints has also been interesting. You know, between like, you know, you've World Slayer, Pentavis, Solemn Simulacrum, a strangely large number of like classic Mirrodin cards. Um, I was I've been surprised by those every time I see a new one. So that's that's been it's been interesting. I'm not really sure what to think of it, but those have been fun to see. Um, but again, just starting to like think about you know limited interactions and card evaluations, and it, uh, again the set feels very different um, from an eleven or an M ten, um, but it looks to be shaping up well. I mean, I guess I can stop on you know Jace as well since uh, I don't think we did we talk about him the last time. We didn't talk about that one, I believe. He he is the blue Liliana Vess. That's, that's really what you're looking at here. You've got a a five casting cost planeswalker that can't defend himself. He has a plus one ability that obviously has a, a positive. He has a uh, middle ability which may or may not be very good. You know, it could do a lot or it could do nothing, just like the Leon of S. And he has an ultimate that should, you know, finish the game in theory if it resolves. Although I think emptying the the graveyards is probably a little bit better than just kind of drawing twenty cards, unless you're killing your opponent by making them draw twenty cards or drawing the twenty spells you need to immediately win the game. But uh, so much hype around him, so much like people just waiting and wanting and hoping and thinking, and I think that um, it's a fine card, and uh, you shouldn't be expecting 
more than what you got. I just uh, hope people don't go too overboard with that guy. What about, for a limited perspective, Druidic Satchel? Oh, yeah, that guy card's all bonus. You know, it reminds me a lot of, um, like, those, like, kind of not-so-spectacular artifacts of past where it's like, name a card, reveal the top card of your library. If it's the name card, you get in your hand or you gain some life or you something stupid. And, you know, more often than not, nothing happens. And it's one of those traps for newer players in Limited, and they always love playing and activating those kind of things, and they don't do anything. This card is uh, is all upside. Like, you can't really lose with it, which is kind of what I like a lot. I mean, rampant growthing is spectacular. Uh... Putting creatures into play is very good and limited, obviously. And if nothing else, it's like, you know, kind of like Fountain of Youth on steroids. So, the good card limited. I, I'm interested to see where it falls in the pick order. Um, you know, again, if the seal deck format is much like M11, it's going to be pretty concealed because things are going to be pretty slow. Like it for the, all the benefits. But the only thing about it is a lot of people don't like showing cards. So, you're technically tipping your opponent off with something that's in your hand. Eh. No big deal. If you're winning the game, I'll, I'll show my opponent every single card I win if it means I'm going to have an advantage in game. Just just because you just because you can see the Titanic growth coming doesn't mean you can necessarily get around it. Is Crumbling Colossus? It's the uh, like a seven four trampler for five. Yep, and he gets one swing. Uh, he's a sweet sweet blocker. Takes care of all those vastwood gorgers and stampeding rhinos and all those other kind of uh, big dudes. I, I, I mean it. it Trying to think of exactly what it reminds me of in terms of other limited formats. I, I think it's a fine card. Okay. I, got, I, uh, you've got that, that sweet, uncommon land that uh, gets you an artifact back out of your graveyard. So there'll, there'll be some tricks. There'll be some tricks. Are you excited that they printed the uh, dual lands, sort of? Multi <laughs> I, don't, I don't think anyone's excited about that. Um, it was one of those things where it's like you, you didn't see the rare lands spoiled up front. And I think so many people were just crossing their fingers like, oh, they're going to give us something new, they're going to give us something cool, it's going to be exciting. And it's like, no, no, no. Same bland, vanilla-flavored lands you've been playing with for the last two years. You know, sure, they were cool when they first came out in M10, and M11 were like, yeah, that's cool, we'll just do it one more time. And this time around, so few cards from kind of M10 are, are coming back. I think so many people were expecting to see something different, different flavor, different direction. And uh, bleh, you just get the exact same thing. So I wouldn't say it's a letdown, but it's definitely not exciting. Because when the sets rotate, you'll have available to you for those kind of lands. So Yeah, you, you, you don't know. I mean, Scar's lands are not great by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I, I, th- I think we, were, we have been living in a, in a kind of a plentiful dual land kind of time between fetch lands, man lands... M corset dual lands and scars lands and all these things. It's like, you know, I, I go to build a blue-white deck list and I get to start with 16 non-basics or something. It seems kind of stupid. Or even more than that if you talk about ink moth nexuses and tectonic edges and all that kind of stuff. So I'm, I'm not too sad to see people have to kind of like, you know, think in a different direction and do different things. But I think that could have also been easily accomplished by throwing us a bone in any fashion and giving us anything else to talk about or, or use. The one card that I thought was really hysterical that is a functional reprint of a multicolor card, the Turn to Frog, where they used to have the one green or blue it would turn into a 1-1 one, one snake, lose its all abilities until the end of turn. 
Do you, do you get to do you get to draw a card off that bad boy? I can't mm-hmm. remember. Mm-hmm. Nope. Target creature uh, loses all abilities, becomes a one-one blue frog until end of turn. So it's an upgrade on diminish, but it's not quite a snake form, which is fine. Which is fine. Um, you know, hopefully going to be kind of a blue removal spell unlimited. Um, you know, I'm trying to think if there's any other like, there's no like persist or you know, like crazy abilities like that where it can get you know also it can be a blowout by taking away creatures' abilities. And then there's all these like bloodthirst plus one plus one counters. So I'm, I'm like a little, a little concerned that you know turn to frog might not be turning the tides for you as much as it should. But we'll see. I mean, diminish wasn't spectacular in M11 draft. Um, you know, usually blue didn't really. I mean, it was complemented by cards that could answer threats and didn't need to play cards like diminish, especially when they're missing the key phrase on them like draw a card. So we'll, we'll see if this card has any more impact. And being uncommon instead of common also makes it feel like it's not going to be all that spectacular for limited, but who knows? There might be more interactions with triggered abilities or activated abilities than I can think of. As these cards have come out, because at first you're always kind of, at least I've been always leery of drafting a core set, but they give you at least enough quality flavor that you can do it. Oh, I I love drafting core set, and I think that um, it's just good. (laughs) Like. I, I enjoyed. It. I, I I've made I made many a draft video from Magic uh, 2011 draft, and uh, I've been so busy I haven't been able to catch up on my MPH draft videos. I only posted one so far, but hopefully at least for M12 I can get in the ring and cast all these sweet spells the best of them. Well, we have a cube question of the week. Do you govern playability between aggressive combo control or let it run wild? You know, uh, it's one of those things where it's it's kind of like the the overarching cube questions. Do you, you know, do you construct a set? Is your cube like your magic set in a way, or is it just an amalgamation of the best cards you've ever you know encountered? Or, or do you like you know you put combos in your cube? People talk about like oh I play dark ritual, cabal ritual, and Seething Song for my Tendrils of Agony and Empty the Warrens and Mind's Desire. And it's like, how many times you open a pack and you see a ritual and you're like, oh, this is garbage. Um, so, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a question. I, I know people that, you know, playing with their cubes is like playing with just a special set that someone kind of built. Like they like aggressive creature decks and they don't really like control. And so you're playing a bunch of like, you know, monkeys that keep running into each other and, you know, alternatively, there's the combo cube where somebody's going to, you know, brain freeze you out of the game and you couldn't have saw that coming and, uh, you know, Yog will plays differently. And, you know, I don't really uh, subscribe to either of those. I, I kind of like, kind of multi-layer it. I think that you need to include all the all-stars. You need to include all the hits. But I think that synergy within colors and draft strategies go a long way. Uh, it's one of the reasons I have kind of a land destruction theme between red and black and uh, obviously, like, aggressive creature themes are really easy to create, but also kind of like control deck themes between other color combinations. Like, you know, red-blue might be a really good control deck. It wouldn't be something you really think about, but, you know, you've got lots of removal spells in red that also double as uh, game-ending spells against your opponent, and obviously all the classic blue control elements. So it's one of those those bigger questions to, to ask yourself when you, um, you know, play with someone's cube, build your own cube. Uh, what do you like? What do you What do you not like? And... What are really your goals? Because, again, you know, cube is really, 
your set. It's your opportunity to kind of make your own magic set, and that you know, extension of that is uh, people to create their own cards, and sometimes they fill in gaps and you know bring colors up to certain levels. I definitely remember the white ancestral cube, where someone just had ancestral recall in white because it felt like white was not uh, you know on par with other colors. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I often you know I, I encounter people that think I should change things or you know, want to do something differently for those very reasons, and I'm kind of like, well, you know, I want to play with all the cards. I want to play with the best cards, and I want there to be some synergies with those cards. As a follow-up question, when someone does critique the cube, do you value certain people's opinion more? Um, I wouldn't say I value it more. I think that, um, well, maybe maybe value is the right word. I think that I definitely look at someone's experience with the game and what background they have and what kind of angle they come from. You know, like, when Luis critiques it, Luis is talking purely from, like, years of playing competitive magic, and that's all he really ever does. Um, you know, talking, you know, talking to people that play combo a lot in PTQs and uh, really like combo decks. Like, I have a friend that anytime there's a Mind's Desire variant that's legal, that's what he wants to play. And and listening to him, listening to what he would want in, and you know, kind of decks he would want to draft. Um, you know, again, like thinking of you know why people are like, are you advocating this card just because you like it? Are you advocating it because it reminds you of you know particular limited interactions in the past? Like you, why do you not like this card? Like you, like have you you know played with formats where it was ever balanced and how so? Um, but I wouldn't say I just you know straight up value someone one person's opinion over another. We also have more update on the Magic Cruise. Ah, yes, yes. Uh, uh, for those that aren't familiar, I, I am trying to get out of this thing as much as possible, and uh, Zane has just updated the kind of preliminary outline for uh, what the event schedule will be like. Now, I haven't talked to him about this. I actually meant to before we recorded today, but I have not got a chance. Uh, there's like a cruise championship events, you know, there's going to be mixed formats, uh, you're going to play a, you know, if you want to participate and get product from the, the whoever's organizing these events on the boat, there's a flat fee that's currently only $50 to be in all of the events on the cruise, which are currently, what's it, like Saturday, Sunday, Wednesday, Thursday, Man, that's a long trip, but uh, you've got some seal deck, you've got some... Uh, Commanders, some two HG, some standard stuff like that. He's he's even excited to tell you that there will be a two headed giant sealed deck slash draft event where you might get a chance to be paired with someone like Luis or Pat or the Richard Garfield, who I don't know if I've already been talking about, will be on the cruise. And there's one more reason I'd like to go and play magic with that guy on a boat or on land or in the air or wherever. <laughs> but uh, yes, he he uh, is also stressing about you know your uh, your deposits, getting them ASAP to lock your rates and all those things. And granted, your your next um, marker for deposits is considerably further out there if you can't make it uh, right now. But uh, again, get amped about this thing. Get on that boat. Get to Seattle. That's what I'm saying. I'm still working on it, but as you know, school's still going on then, so it's hard to pull a teacher out of what they do. It's not like you or I who can just take vacation. Unfortunately, oh, it sounds so easy. In your case, you're trying to take what two or three consecutive weeks of vacation. I think that might it's, be a little. It's uh, it's work, do. my friend. It's work. 
Eh, you know how that goes. I had an interview this week on the Men of Magic with Channel Fireball's own Paul Reitzel. Now, is there only one Men of Magic episode this week? I can't remember. No, there's going to be two. There are two. Now, is it uh, like a double dip of Paul, or do you got... Uh... Twitter account is SUNY FTC. Uh, community Cup, and okay, okay. she was so part of the team. A community Cup winning team member. I'm sure I said that very out of order, but you have... Uh... Is that is that a part one interview or is that a full interview? That's a full interview. Uh, it's a full interview. So we got see if you want to get more in depth on the uh, community cup victory. Uh, for those that I think yeah, Luis and I already did a Magic TV where we talked about Luis's experience and his sweet deck list. But checking it from a different perspective because obviously only eight only eight could enter and leave with kicking the crap out of the Wizards team. But uh, I, I'm interested to know the other perspectives from that. Sweet week of magic. I was told that basically to qualify for this, you need to start campaigning for yourself like immediately for next year. Well, here you go. I uh, Again, thrown in the ring. I, I started really late in this last thing. I ended up just kind of campaigning for Luis kind of uh, by proxy because he is Channel Fireball's team leader in a way. But 2012... I mean, if you can only make one appearance, I mean, Brad was there for us in 2010, Luis 2011. I'd like to be there for 2012. I mean, obviously it's not your number one pro player choice, but, you know, I, I know how to draft. I think a lot of people can see that. It's about community. It's not necessarily about if you're... Well, I usually sit here alone in the dark in my apartment talking to myself on my computer screen, so I'm really interested in other people in the community. That's, that's never my goal. Paul's interview was a lot of fun. He has... Such tremendous insight on Magic and where he's been and where he plans to go. It was a lot of fun. And also, speaking of Channel Fireball, finally got Luis to tie down a date coming up within either next week or the following week. See, again, Luis has got time off. He's between events. He's not doing anything. So you're, you're finally going to get on. This is like a full-blown Men of Magic, Luis Scott Vargas interview. That is the plan, as long as we can keep it to an hour. Anytime it goes over an hour, it becomes too long. At least that's my opinion. People just start dropping off. It's like, you know, we can barely make an hour, so I have to assume that our audience is, is, is captive the entire time. <laughs> well, speaking of going back to where we should be, the F&M Deck of the Week, and you discussed it a little bit earlier. I, I did. You know, if you're looking for kind of a, a blue-black control shell to start with, kind of like a jumping-off point for deck construction into the the new Type 2 world, we've got a, a nice blue-black list, fully endorsed this list. Uh, you got your Dismembers, your Black Sun Zeniths, you know, your full complement of Jace, Ingenuity, because you can't play Jason anymore. Uh, you got the Consecrated Sphinx Grave Titan package. You've even got some sweet Connolly Woods approved Peace Striders in the sideboard to keep you in it while you're uh, trying to race those aggressive decks. Doesn't seem like it's overpriced. I mean, this is a very reasonable deck to put together. Well, you take the $100 Mythic out of the blue deck, and all of a sudden uh, things don't look so bad to build. No. I'm sure you got your Dark Slick Shores, your Creeping Tar Pits, your, your Drowned Catacombs. There we go. All those, those things can't be expensive. They just keep printing them. So you got your Mana Base, you know, some Inquisitions and some Grave Titans. But, you know, compared to what standard decks have been costing recently, it's like a bargain, right? Yes, absolutely. One of the fun cards in there that 
always seems to end up slipping into any sort of blue is Volition Reigns and just how amazingly powerful it is. The, the, sometimes the Miser is Volition Reigns, although uh, you get to play Preordain and Jason Ingenuity in a blue deck, so it's not, you're not exactly just kind of like, oh, I need this card, and there it is. Um, but yes, I mean, there's there's few things that are more satisfying than stealing your opponent's stuff, and then with this card you can get to untap it, so it can block or activate, and so on and so forth. Well, we have a very interesting five up and five down this week, including cards that had been previously on the down list, going on the up list. Uh, I want to start with down because the first card on your down list, you would think would actually be moving up because of Valakut becoming supposedly back in play, and that's Primeval Titan. Well, uh, that is very much the case. You know, the, the two major factors here, which, you know, it's, it's no secret to anybody, is that, um, you know, Valakut itself isn't going to be in standard for too much longer. And uh, the ye old Titan cycle is going to be back in M12, just as we've kind of known, more or less, for quite a while here. So there's going to be a lot more Primeval Titans out there. There's going to be far less opportunities to capitalize him with him in the future. So um, you know, I, I'm happy this card is steady right now, but uh, don't look for it to go up in value anymore anytime soon. Three of the new ones on the list. Jace, Memory Adept. Yeah, don't uh, don't pre-order this guy super high, people. Um, you know, it's it's a fine card and all, and yes, it does have islands in its casting cost and is a Jace, but um, don't be fooled. Again, Liliana Vess here. It's a, we're talking about a five casting cost planeswalker that cannot protect itself. And sure, I can you know dream up all these scenarios and involve walls of omens and oblivion rings and all these things to sit in front of it and keep it in play while you do stuff with it, but um, that doesn't mean it has to carry a $40 or $50 price tag. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's expensive, and uh, it's going to be okay in standard from what I can tell. And there's a lot of speculation around, again, the Innistrad graveyard interactions. But, you know, looking at any formats older than that, I don't see this card popping up immediately, unlike, you know, prior Jace. And it's not obviously going to be fighting with other Jace, because this will be the only Jace in standard real soon, which is weird to think. Um, so yeah, you know, just definitely wait on him. If you, if you have to have him, definitely don't buy right now. Then, as a side question, now that we have three Jaces, in your opinion, where does this, obviously this, that does not rank number one, but where does it rank between that one and the other one? Oh, it's definitely the, the bottom of the Jace ladder, and I, I think it kind of Kind of goes without saying. I mean, three casting cost, cost planeswalkers are almost becoming extinct at this point. Uh, original Jace Bellerin only costing three mana is, is kind of a big deal now. And it, you know, keeps what I still like to think is big Jace in check in the formats where it matters. Um, so yeah, I mean, this, this guy is, he seems more like a, a face for the game than like a power heart, powerhouse playable card. I mean, its abilities aren't completely innocuous, but they're not really, you know, spectacular either. Again, if you stop and think about it, none of them affect the board at all, which in a lot of games, especially of Type 2, you need to be able to do. The next one, which was just uh, previewed recently, uh, Chandra the Firebrand. 
Yeah, talk about not a good card. Um, sure, she only costs a single red. I think that's supposed to be the, some kind of discount you get for playing this pretty unspectacular card. I mean, breaking it down, you're looking at a Planeswalker that comes into play with four loyalty for four mana, assuming you just want to immediately use your plus one ability um, and tickle something for one damage. What that's going to be good against, I'm really not sure. Um, the minus ability is even more awkward because you... I mean, it's very rare you're going to be using that as soon as she hits the table. Um, it means you need to you know, put four mana into your fork ability and then do something. And the, you know, the worst thing is, you put it on the table, you, you know, deal one to something, your opponent cracks back out of three damage, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, great, I have one mediocre mode. It seems like for one more red mana investment, Chandra Lar is infinitely better than this card. You know, again, I'm not like, you know, twin casting ancestrals and wheels of fortune and wildfires and all these other cool things I'm sure she can do. I mean, maybe on a red mana, do something really cool with this new Chandra is the wave of the future, but I, I just don't see it. This card, uh, you know, sure the ultimate is good, but you have to get there, which doesn't seem like it's going to be happening anytime soon. Okay. I, I It was interesting. It, it seemed like it was something relevant, but maybe because I was looking at it, envisioning our previous Squadron Hawk world, where being able to play that to kill the Squadron Hawk right away at least has some sort of advantage. But uh, Again, I mean, like... Your deck could be chock full of incinerates and volcanic hammers, and doubling those might be good. I just, I, I don't see it at all. I'm not really sure where this card is good. Okay, well, that's absolutely fine. Grim Lava Mancer. Yeah, I, I think that everyone's kind of love for this card is only slightly validated by the fact that it was seeing some legacy action recently. Um, you know, maybe its real impact is going to be extended or modern or overextended. All the all these formats that are kind of out in the aether that are actually aren't being played right now. But um, Morgan and Lava Mancers just means they're going to be cheaper. Is this card going to be really good in Type Two? Maybe for ten minutes when you've got Lightning Bolt, Incinerate, Shock, Searing Blaze, Dagger Shock, etc., 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 all in the same deck, and you're playing this one one for one that can also shock, shock things when it you know feels the need to. But um, after that short window is closed, I'm not really sure where the value of this card is going to fall. I mean, yes, we've talked already so much about. You know, graveyard interactions with the coming fall set, and you know, maybe there's going to be some sweet, sweet business going on there, but I don't see Little Shockman being a very spectacular and standard. And again, really, the, the bigger thing here is there's just going to be a lot more of them in print. I mean, we already had a, had them in the special premium deck release recently, so that was already kind of dropping the value ever so slightly with the, in conjunction with the, uh, Judge promo release from years ago. So, definitely, you know, don't pay too much for your Grim Lava Mancers. You know, definitely make sure you have four. They might, you know, be useful at some point in the future, but eh, this is going to be, like, a nice 3 or $4 rare. I mean, ever remember Fauna Shaman? She only got printed once, and 
didn't hold value forever. I mean, yes, it was good. It went on this crazy wild roller coaster of value, but there are considerably more Grimlock Mancers already out there. The one it looks like maybe because there's already enough out there? Mental misstep? Yeah, yeah. What was, you know, the $5, $6 uncommon at new release time? Uh, we had our domestic Legacy Grand Prix. We've... You know, seeing it's a good card, yes, it's a plenty good card, or the one format where everyone thinks it's a good card. Um, you know, there's some sweet emulating Soul Leader decks in Standard that I've seen try to mental misstep my disfigures or other very relevant interactions like that, but uh, this Uncommon is making its way back to reality. Plenty of new Phyrexias being opened, plenty of people don't need four of them like they do their Path to Exiles, and... They're happy to ship them to vendors, and then those vendors will then sell them and so on and so forth, and the circle of magic life continues, but it is not the $5 price tag it was previously holding on to. I'd be pretty happy if this was a 2 to $3 uncommon uh, for quite a while while it's standard and while everyone is opening them. So it'll settle into that area, kind of like uh, Jaroga Tree Speaker has, that 2 to $3 range for an uncommon? Um... I don't know if Draga Tree Speaker is the best example. Draga Tree Speaker's value was greatly dependent on its playability, and you know there was a time where El- Eldrazi Green was very popular, Elves were very popular. I mean, I think it has longer-lasting value, kind of like Path to Exile. Path to Exile should have more value, though, because it's more playable. Um, so it's kind of hard to say, but I would liken it more to like Path to Exile than I would Draga Tree Speaker. And we have ones going up. Not surprising, going back to the deck that we previewed for you, uh, Consecrated Sphinx. Yeah, now's a good time to invest in Scars Block Mythic Rares. Uh, you know, it's the same game we always play. Standard shifts, one block leaves, and the next block enters. You always got to look for the stuff that's going to be playable, uh, really strong in the you know the coming six months through the winter and the fall. Uh, Consecrated Sphinx is obviously kind of a close, you know, not quite a Jace replacement, but kind of filling similar space to where that card used to be. It's obviously very strong. You don't need a whole lot of people to tell you that from everyone at the Pro who are trying to make it good in block. Um, and yeah, it's still got plenty of room to move. Again, it's a Mythic and a set where it didn't get opened all that much, so look for it to still continue to grow. And the one that we had been talking about going down, 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 Karn. Uh, yeah, I mean, again, it had kind of that inflated, right out of the gate, mythic rare kind of value. Um, Karn is proving to be playable. You know, as the format gets slower, uh, as things, sh- you know, shift. Uh, again, I'm like kind of looking at those Pro Tour results where there were the wonky control decks that, you know, included one or two copies one way or another of this card. Um, it's still just fine, just completely playable, and you know, look for future control or ramp iterations to be playing this card. Uh, and I, you know, I think the best advice right now is just, you know, don't dump them. Just uh, at least hold on, maybe pick up if they're, if other players think they're still really bad. One that we had not seen on either list going up or down for quite a while, Mox Opal. Been kind of innocuous. I mean, this card's been kind of, um, you know... If you think of the you know longer terms has been around, everyone's so excited, doesn't really do anything. Oh, it's in Kadatha Red. Oh, that's cool. Oh, that deck's bad. Oh, I don't need this card. You know, it's it's no Molten Tail Massacre. It's obviously very useful. 
And again, looking at block results with, with the Tempered Steel decks playing it, with uh, some of the other big red decks, uh, artifact-based red decks playing it, and still with more room to be used in other places, you know, Tezzeret decks in the future, uh, it's a fine card. And, and again, you know, you've got a lot of value in Mythics from the more recent block right now with Standard going to be rotating in the fall. Speaking of the card it matches up with, Tezzeret. Yeah, yeah, it's another, you know, Planeswalker Control, very popular. This guy, um, you know, people are teaming to build more decks with him. And uh, ironically, you know, Jace was such a great compatriot to this card in the past, but you don't have that anymore, and now you got to kind of work without him. But, you know, Sphere of the Suns into Tezzeret on turn three, making a 5-5 five, five Sphere at some point down the road, and soon the same with your Trouble Orb and your Tumble Magnets and your Ink Moth Nexuses and all these things. Is uh, is pretty exciting. So he's he's back on the way up. People want to play this card. You know, it's obviously in competitive colors right now, and we'll see what people do with it. And our last one, you even said a week ago that it would not go down forever. Jace the Mind Sculptor. Oh, forever apparently is a very 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 short time. Uh, yes, my offer is still open. Anyone that wishes to sell me twenty dollars <laughs> Jace the Mind Sculptors, uh, my email address is included in the show notes, and I'm sure it will be. Spam to you several times more in the closing minutes of the show, but um, already bounced back. I, I think a lot of people got the message very quickly that this card is good wherever it's legal. And, you know, think Jason Mind Sculptor, think Tarmogoyf. It's worth something. It's good. It's gonna be played. It is played. It is valuable. Um, and I think ChannelFireball.com right now, as we speak, is buying it for 40 cash. So, you know, it's got more room to grow, and I'm interested to see kind of where it settles at this point, because it's not the, oh, you know, Jace is going to be worth $30, $40 once it gets banned and no one plays it kind of situation, and that's obviously not the case. And, of course, you will buy them for 20 each, so, yeah. Yes, yes. I, you know, this week only, special offer, I'll bump it up to 25 because <laughs> uh, I think I have a buyer lined up for me that I might be able to flip them for, so... Well, well, I just thought it was you. <laughs> I thought you were just well, keeping it. And that was last last week. I was trying to get my own stash, but I think ah. we're, we're back up. We're back in the black when it comes to Jace's. Okay. And is there anything else you want to talk about this week? Not really. I, mean, I think we're all just kind of uh, waiting with bated breath for the rest of the M12 spoiler to fill in and uh, match. You know, Gen Con to get here already. I want to get out to that gaming convention and play some magic. And see some really weird people. That I'm not too familiar with, but unfortunately I'm already forming pictures in my head. If you go to Gen Con and you wander away from the magic area and go into the general populous area... I like to call it the dungeon. Yeah. Uh, there is a... At least for the years I went, back when it used to be here in Milwaukee and first couple down in Indianapolis, there was a girl called Duct Tape Girl, and yes, that was her outfit, Duct Tape. That sounds painful. Yeah. Either that or revealing, depending on what method you chose. It it, it was a little of both. <laughs> uh, well, I, I see. I haven't been to like the big show. I've been to some uh, like SoCal Gen Cons, and and even the uh, quote unquote weirder or different gamer uh, groups are still very entertaining. I, you know, I definitely enjoyed the giant room of people playing board games and 
sprawled out miniatures. It was like what I imagine a nerdy, you know, Nazi war room to look like with all these little tape measures and maps and tanks positioned in all these different places, and inc- including the, the, the full-size uh, uh, was it Axis and Allies game that I once witnessed, which was really kind of awkward. But uh, I, I wouldn't say these are necessarily my people, but I'm not going to say they're not my people. I, I enjoy all these things as much as the next person. I'll definitely bring my my full collection of Star Trek CCG cards and X-Files CCG cards and what I have left of my Magic, or no, sorry, my Star Wars collectible card game cards, so I'll, I'll, be, I'll be down to battle. As I say, you might have an opportunity to flip them for some profit if they're as rare as I think they are. You might be able to actually turn them into something, like money. But, <laughs> hey. Oh, man, I was expecting you to turn them into more cards. No, 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 no. Uh, we'll see. I mean, I, I definitely have uh, collected all that stuff since the mid-90s when you could make a collectible card game out of pretty much anything, and for some reason people would throw their money at it. So uh, all I have now are the memories and the cardboard and now when, the money. Now, when you go to Gen Con, are you actually going to be able to do stuff, or are you still going to be constantly stuck behind the booth? Uh, I'm making sure we're bringing enough staff that hopefully I can take an entire day and indulge my nerd side. But even if I can't, you know get that much out of it, at least like a few hours to to roam the hall and sift through some dealer booths and see if I can find any sweet things I'm going to drag all the way back home. Well, I don't doubt that, but it's definitely an experience, and for those of you who have never been to Gen Con, it's, it's a unique experience upon itself, let's just say. So so exciting, I and mean, we're still a month away, and it's still a topic of conversation, but there's so much that's going to happen between now and then. Yes, we will have better a better look of what the metagame will be, and hopefully we'll have a lot of excitement. Hopefully M12 will allow maybe even enhancements on some current decks or maybe even break out some new ideas, which will be nice. That is for sure. Well, we, we do get the, um, the upside or the bonus here is that Wizards is... Very much controlling the spoiler release this time around. I mean, I, I'm probably, most of you probably don't know, but the last time there was a Magic set release, there was a very large leak that happened, and a lot of people found out about the cards well ahead of time. So I, I am fairly certain that a lot of higher-ups in the uh, Wizards company are making sure these things don't happen again. So instead of seeing all the overpowered mythics and sweet rares and all these cool cards in the very first, you know, inf- spoiler season... This time we get all the innocuous commons and uncommons, and then we're slowly given one tidbit a day with not-so-sweet planeswalkers and overpriced uh, searing winds and other sweet cards like that. Well, it should be a lot of fun, and obviously with pre-release weekend coming up on July 9th. And what is the store's plan for pre-release weekend? Have a pre-release. Um, yes. I think uh, Player of the Year front runner Owen Turnwald will be coming from Michigan to uh, Chell Fireball's home base in San Jose, California, which of course means that I am contractually obligated to go to Smogland, aka Los Angeles, California, and participate in their pre-release events. So that's where you'll be able to find me, not this weekend, but the weekend coming. Um, yeah, yeah, I think it's plug time because that's pretty much all I've got on me where you can find me in the next couple of weeks front. Uh, you can follow me at Tristan Gregson on Twitter and you can send me all of your cruise donations and cheap jaces 
to tsg at channelfireball.com, as well as show input, feedback, uh, ramblings, deck lists, so on and so forth. And what about you, Robert? Uh, you can reach me on Twitter on as under the Beamy, T-H-E-B-E-M-E, or you can send me emails at robert at channelfireball.com. And like we said, we're open to thoughts, so show suggestions, deck ideas, card evaluations, any of that kind of stuff that you're interested in hearing on the show, we're more than glad to consider it and put it into the show. Robert, however, does not accept donations. So, again, anything you would like to give to him, you can go ahead and ship my direction, and I'll make sure that it finds a good home. Anyways, on that note, uh, why don't you wrap it up for us? I don't usually get to do these honors, but, uh, yeah, check out uh, the, our website in the immediate future for cruise details. If you're looking for Magic Cruiser information, for pre-ordering for all your M12 products, wait on some of those overpriced singles. They're going to come down. It's a competitive market. Uh, and until next week, everybody, thanks for listening. <laughs>